0: Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. This morning, uh, for those who have just joined us, we're continuing with our series uh, based on the Gospel of Mark. The story is told of a prosperous young investment banker who was driving his BMW on a winding road during a storm. As he veered... Around one sharp turn, he lost control of his vehicle and began sliding off the road toward a steep cliff. At the last moment, he managed to uh, unbuckle his seat seatbelt, uh, flings open his door and leaps from the car uh, before uh, the car plummeted uh, to the bottom of the ravine and burst into a ball of flames. Although he had es- escaped with his life, now the man suf- suffered a ghastly injury. Uh, somehow his arm had been caught near the hinge of the door as he jumped and, uh, d- and had been to- torn off consequently at the shoulder. A passing truckie saw the accident uh, in his rearview mirror pull his truck to a halt, ran to see if he could help. By the time he reached them, the man was... Uh, the banker was at the, at the roadside looking at his BMW burning in the ravine below. Incredibly, the banker was oblivious to his injury. And he moaned, my BMW, my BMW, my new BMW. The truckie pointed at the banker's shoulder and said, mate, you've got bigger problems than that. We have to find your arm. Maybe the surgeons can sew it back on. The banker looked at where his arm had been, paused a moment, and groaned, Oh no, my Rolex, <laughs> my new Rolex, my new Rolex. <laughs> now this morning I want to speak to us about our priorities, which can shift and change over time depending uh, on our circumstance. For instance, your priorities as a single aren't the same as when you get married, and then they aren't the same again uh, when you have children. Even the importance that we place uh, on our goals, the importance of our goals, can change when you grow from, from being a kid to an adult. As one lady said, as a kid, my hope was to one day cure diseases. And be an Olympic swimmer. Now, as an adult, I hope to one day finish a bottle of shampoo and conditioner at the same time. Changes, right? (laughs) Then the daunting task of juggling our priorities, like our career and family life. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have other added priorities, like your relationship with God, your church commitments. Uh, and your responsibility as a witness for Jesus in your front lines. Uh, COVID-19 has uh, certainly intensified the challenge, particularly those who have to work at home where there is no uh, physical boundaries, no distinct physical way to, to set these boundaries between work and family and so on and so forth. And then when you decide to audit or tweak or radically change your priorities, you think about the people that you will end up disappointing. And so there are no quick answers, obviously, to these challenges to do with priorities. But what we know for sure is this, that life doesn't stay static. Our lives and the circumstances of our lives evolve. What we can do and what we need to do is to review, to review regularly our priorities, but to do so using God's plumb line, the Bible. And for those who don't know what a plumb line is, it is a weight suspended from a string used as a vertical line to establish that a, that a structure is centered. God's plumb line, of course, is none other than Jesus, God's word in the flesh, And all of his commands that we are to obey as his followers. Let me put it in another way. Minimally, what Jesus prioritizes need to also be what we prioritize. Right? Minimally. What's important to Jesus has got to be also important to his followers. That goes without saying. So, This morning, in the passage we're going to look at from Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 217, we're going to see Jesus' three priorities. Jesus' three priorities. And the first one is this. He prioritizes spending time with God. Priority number two, he prioritizes compassion for people, for the hurt, for the rejected, for the marginalized, for the vulnerable, the outcasts. And thirdly, he prioritizes the proclamation of the good news of God's salvation and forgiveness. So let's look at the first priority that Jesus prioritizes. Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 37. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Master, Lord, everyone is looking for you. Jesus had been up very late the previous night, healing the sick and uh, and casting evil spirits out of people who were tormented by evil spirits. He would have been exhausted, as you can imagine, The next day, in anticipation of another busy day, what he did, he, he got up earlier in the morning to make sure that God doesn't get squeezed out of his schedule. Why? Because God occupies the highest place in his life. Jesus always kept his date with God the Father. He refused to let anything he refused to let anyone however important however urgent matters are push God out of his schedule he made sure that he always had time for his father because he needed him he depended on him and he also treasured him as disciples of Jesus Our time with God has got to be the greatest priority of all. I mean, how can you be in a relationship with someone you claim to love and you claim to be the most important in your life if you are not spending time with them? That's pretty obvious, isn't it? And yet, isn't it true that we often make time for a lot of things in our life, but when it comes to spending time with God, he often gets the scrap, the leftovers, he gets time when I have done everything else that's important. And if I can squeeze God in later in the day, at the end of the day, then uh, he's lucky. When we get busy or busier, more often than not, it is our time with God that gets neglected. Now, the reasons why a personal devotion and prayer hangs by a thread are many and may vary. From person to person. But the one I think that stands out the most is summed up very well by a pastor. He writes prayerlessness is a declaration of self sufficiency. The reason why we don't spend time with the Lord is because of our sense of self sufficiency. Isn't it true that we often turn to Jesus completely, only as a last resort? only after we have exhausted every other option. It is then, when we're at the lowest of low, when we're scraping at the bottom of the barrel, it is then that we realize that Jesus is who we need because Jesus is all we have. You see, often it's our pride, our our self-sufficiency that keep us from turning to God sooner in prayer. Now, one of the reasons people have used uh, for why they do not turn to God is this, and you probably heard of it, probably you've used it. Faith in God is a crutch for the weak. You heard that one? The reason why I, I don't believe in God and all that crap is because faith in God, religion is for the weak people. Would you believe That in a manner of speaking, that that was the same line that Satan trotted out to Adam and Eve in the garden. He said to Adam and Eve, if you eat from this fruit, you know what will happen? You will be like God. And if you're going to transform into being God-like, then you won't need him anymore. You'll be strong. You'll be self-sufficient, and you'll be independent of him. And it was Satan's false promise of self-sufficiency that destroyed Adam and Eve's relationship with God. It's a lie. It's a lie that has worked very well for thousands of years. And I want to say to us, don't fall for that lie. The truth is, we are weak. We are weak. We're creative beings. And this means that we can never be self-sustaining. We can never be self-sufficient. We are God-dependent, no matter how hard we try not to be. Faith in God is a crutch for weak people precisely because we are weak, because we are in desperate need for God. And besides, I take Jesus as my crutch any day. I don't mind Jesus being my crutch. <laughs> At least he's reliable and consistent. Now, if this is truth and reality, then the quicker we come to terms with it, the better off we are. Right? As the apostle Paul discovered for himself. He wrote, for when I am weak, I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's saying my acknowledgement of weakness and dependence on God is not actually a sign of weakness but a sign of strength because blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said. That's why it's a statement of strength when we say we are weak, Lord. To be poor in spirit is to be humble and contrite before God. And to recognize one's helplessness before him, just like a person in abject poverty is dependent on others for help. That's what the word poor means. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who recognize that they are nothing without God, that they are God dependent completely. Those are the ones for whom is the kingdom. Of God don't wait until you reach rock bottom before you turn to God and to be sure we spend time with God not only because we need him we spend time with God because we value deeply our relationship with him and this is a priority that we need to get right and if we do we're more than halfway in getting all of our other priorities in order The second thing that's highly important to Jesus is compassion for the hurting, for the outcast, for the rejected, for the vulnerable. In Mark chapter 1, verses 38 to 45, and he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. We'll come to that later. And when he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons, And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean, move with pity or move with compassion. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. encounter where a leper is on his knees pleading with jesus to heal him and by the way the word leprosy in those days covered a wide range of skin diseases unlike how we understand the word leprosy today anyways In those days, when a person is suspected of contracting leprosy, he's brought to a priest for examination because only the priest, the priest alone can ascertain whether he's got leprosy or not. And if the person has leprosy, the priest will say unclean, or if he doesn't have leprosy, he is clean. And if the person has leprosy, then the person is excluded from the community by divine decree. As we read in Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 to 46, the person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. Why is this? This is to warn people to keep away from him. To warn people that of of his uh, skin condition and as long as he has the infection he remains unclean he must live alone he must live outside the camp now why is this command there it is not only to control one of the reasons is is to control the highly uh, infectious condition and to protect the health of the community you remember this is a time when the people of israel were in the desert there was no medicare there was no hospitals and so it was very tough and so that particular command if you like that instruction has to be contextualized but the other reason why uh That command was there, that instruction was there, it was also to contain the spread of ritual impurity of which leprosy was considered a primary uh, primary source. In short, lepers were outcasts. So leprosy is not just a health issue, but it's a condition that robs lepers of their very name, their dignity, their occupation, their family, their fellowship, and their worshiping community. You would remember that scene in the movie, Ben-Hur, uh, when, when, uh, when, when the parent, when the mother and sister contracted leprosy, they, were, they had to go to a cave somewhere and hide. All other sicknesses had to be healed, have to be healed, but a leper has to be healed and cleansed. And that's why Mark makes four references to clean and, un, and or cleansing in the six verses from 40 to 45. He wants to make an emphasis that this person is not only unwell physically but he was also unclean. So instead of keeping a safe distance from Jesus as he should have done, the leper risks everything, breaking both law and custom on the off chance that Jesus, as both the power and grace to heal and restore him. Now, had had a Jew been confronted by the leper that way, that Jew would have blasted him, that Jew would have, have recoiled in horror and protection. He would have rained down abusive words on the leper for coming so close to him. What did Jesus do? Instead of turning his back on the leper, he turns to him. He stretches out to him. What else? He touches him. Now we know that Jesus can easily heal without having to do that. Remember the Roman, the daughter of the Roman centurion? Yep, be healed. She was well and there was no physical contact. So why did Jesus touch him? He wasn't just making a statement about the grace and the love of God to the Pharisees and to others watching. He felt the leper's isolation. He felt the leper's rejection. He felt the leper's pain. He felt the leper's dignity being robbed. And he couldn't just say, be healed. He wasn't doing it. Notice I'm touching him. I want you to, to see what I'm doing here. No, he, he was zeroed in on the leper. He was not trying to make it, he wasn't thinking about the Pharisees. He zeroed in on the leper. And he just had to touch him. I don't have to touch you, but I'm going to touch you anyway. Because the healing you need is more than just a physical one. Think about the leper. That was probably the first touch he's received for a long long time and if he had been a leper for many many years that he has never been touched he's never had someone hold him come anywhere close to him you see so jesus was not just making a statement jesus is saying saying to all of us that sometimes people the, the greater healing that they need is not a physical one. It's an emotional one. It's one that we cannot put any physical, describe in terms of physical boundaries. Edwards captures the impact of Jesus' action. The outstretched arm of Jesus is a long reach for his day, for any day. It removes the social, physical, physical, And spiritual separations prescribed by the Torah and custom alike. The touch of Jesus speaks more loudly than his words, and the words of Jesus touch the leper more deeply than any act of human love. I'm willing, be clean. Jesus' response was scandalous to say the least. There is no question that people who watched this would have gasped in horror. And in astonishment at this exchange, the other significant point to make in the old uh, make is in the Old Testament, leprosy was generally regarded as a divine punishment, and therefore it was believed that healing was entirely in the hands of God. So, by healing leper, Jesus was making a statement about his divinity as God. So, don't let that point be lost on you. Now, as important and necessary as meeting physical needs is, and we clearly see Jesus doing that, we need to see that he placed a huge priority on the verbal proclamation of the good news, which is, as we've said, is not only good news, but testimony. Testimony of the person of Jesus who brings the good news. And that is how Mark uses the word gospel. So let's go back to Mark chapter 1, verses 36 to 38. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the next towns so that I might preach there also. For that is why I came out. Now, Jesus had been up in the previous night, as we heard earlier, healing droves of uh, people from all kinds of sickness and all kinds of demonic oppressions. The next morning, while he was spending precious time alone with God, Peter and the disciples interrupted Jesus. Excuse us, Lord, there are more sick people, there are more demon-possessed people in need of healing and deliverance looking for you so you might want to hurry along with your time quiet time with god and look at jesus response let us go elsewhere to the nearby villages so that i can preach there also for that is why i came out here jesus spells out the purpose of his public ministry to preach the good news of god's salvation and forgiveness There's not one single instance which Jesus went into a town for the sole purpose of healing people or the casting out of demons. The miracles, uh, the meeting of physical needs, the provision of relief for those who are suffering, all of that served a larger purpose to reveal and establish the identity of Jesus as the Son of God so that people would place their faith in him. There's no clearer proof of this than Mark's account of Jesus healing a paralytic a few days after the healing of the leper. Jesus was in the middle of preaching God's word when a bunch of tenacious men brought the paralyzed friend to be healed by Jesus. The house where this was taking place was packed with people. So his determined friends created an opening via the roof and lowered their friend where Jesus was. Notice Jesus' response, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed men, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus grants forgiveness to the man who came with a physical need. (laughs) What else? what's going on there i didn't come to be forgiven i came because i'm paralyzed so why would jesus say such a thing see jesus wasn't ignoring or diminishing his physical needs jesus greater concern is not for the for the man's physical paralysis but for his spiritual paralysis paralysis And this didn't go down well with the teachers of the law who correctly observed that the forgiveness of sins is a sole prerogative of God. Jesus doubles down by asserting that he has authority to forgive and to heal. Verse 8, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked out, in full view of them all this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Now the title, Son of Man, was a favorite self-designation of Jesus. It is used more than 80 times in the Gospels. Those who heard Jesus and knew their scriptures would have known that referred to the same exalted and divine Son of Man figure in Daniel chapter 7. This guy, uh, Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7, according to Daniel, he will be worshipped by all peoples and nations of every language. In other words, Jesus, right there, is claiming to be God, not explicitly, but implicitly. To make his point, he heals the paralyzed man. And this infuriated the teachers of the law, who were absolutely convinced that they're in God's books because of their good deeds. People are sick, people are damaged because s- somehow in their lives they have sinned against God. You know, the karma theory, the karma thesis you are in that bad situation because somehow you have upset god and you've done wrong by god see us pharisees we're blessed we're so wonderful we have such cushy jobs are you know we're wealthy life is going well for us because we're the good guys and you're the bad guys we're good guys because we do what's right by god And that is why they had such a hard time with Jesus, who claims to be a a righteous teacher, mingling with all these sinners whom they regard as undeserving and beyond the reach of God's favor, especially tax collectors who were hated and despised by other Jews as traitors for working with Rome. Jesus turns the self-righteousness mindset on his head by calling a tax collector by the name of Levi or Matthew, to be his follower. Verse 13, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them and he walked along and he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth, follow me. Jesus told him and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law were Pharisees, he saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I'm not come to call upon the righteous, but sinners. And this is the gospel that we are charged to proclaim. And it is this, that we are accepted, we are proved, we're loved, not because of our merit, but because of God's sheer grace. No one No one is beyond the reach of God's saving grace and love. In Jesus' words, the self-righteous teachers of the law, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus, in a backhanded way, was saying to the self-righteous religious leaders that what keeps people from the grace and mercy of God is not people's sins, but their good works, their self-righteousness. It is much easier for sinners than the self-righteous to turn to God for salvation because the former can see they're sick and therefore see a need for a doctor, whereas the latter do not, who do not see themselves as sick don't have no reasons for calling a doctor. You see that? There's no greater and more vital news to proclaim than this. And Jesus prioritized this in his life. And we too must do the same. We too must quit being self-righteous. What turns sinners away from the church is our self-righteousness. Not necessarily the message of forgiveness of sins, but that our arrogance, a pompousness in thinking that we've got it made. We've got the insight tracked on God. In closing, as followers of Jesus, we must prioritize what He prioritized. And what did He prioritize? Spending time with God, being compassionate, particularly toward the hurting, the outcasts in society, the vulnerable, and the proclamation of good news of His salvation and forgiveness. For everyone. No one is outside the reach of God's love and favor. So, this week, as an application, is there one of three things that uh, God is wanting you to focus on and prioritize this week? Yeah, one of those three things. Let us pray. Father, your word is always delivered with the intent to draw us back to yourself. Your words are never delivered to condemn. They're never delivered uh, to ostracize us. They're never delivered to harm us, to injure us. But your truths are delivered for our good. They're delivered to heal. They're delivered to mend. They're delivered, no doubt, to convict and to challenge. But underlining it is your love for us. So I pray, Lord, as we heard your word to us this morning, three priorities that were important to you, Lord Jesus, that we will not hear it, the ears of condemnation, the ears of I'm not good enough, but to hear it as loving words from you, spoken in love, delivered in love, delivered so that we might repent, delivered so that we might come to you and be honest with you about our struggles. And one of these three things or all, all three things. Uh, Lord, we struggle spending time with you. We struggle prioritizing compassion. We, we, we tend to judge people. We tend to put down. We tend to react. We tend to fight. We tend to hurt with our words and action. And we tend to withdraw and withhold rather than extend compassion. And Lord, we also struggle with pro- proclaiming the good news of your forgiveness and salvation. and all three things, Lord, we have failed you. But The point of your word is not that you want to emphasize our failure, but you're saying to us, come to me. Let's talk it out. Let's work this out. So I thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And I pray that you will challenge us throughout the week and weeks to come on the priorities, on these three priorities, and one particular one, Lord, that you want us to take up on. I ask for for your grace and wisdom in how to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.